welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we welcome Thomas Patterson, director of Lux Populi, into the studio. Thomas has a design firm that does work internationally with offices in Mexico City, Mexico, and Oxford in the UK. He comes to us today to talk to us just a little bit about mentorship, what it means and how it really is a critical part of the lighting industry. Thomas, thanks for making the trip up to the USA. It's good to see you. How are things going? Very well, thanks. It's good to have you here in Denver. I know you're on the road. You've got a little RV situation going so you can head across the country and visit with some clients. What's it been like to catch up with everyone? It's been fantastic. We set ourselves up so that we weren't flying in and staying in hotels and driving in Ubers endlessly and touching our clients. In the interests of COVID, we plotted every client, every architect, every interior designer we collaborate with around the country into a map and came up with a 14,000 mile route to visit them. And I join you in Denver at mile 5,500. 5,500. You've got a little ways to go. I wish I could get all the details, but before we do that, just tell us a little bit about who is Thomas and what's your passion? How'd you get your start in lighting? I'm a lighting designer because I can't dance. In primary school, my year six play, which is kids about 10, was the Rocky Horror Show. Not terribly appropriate for 10 year olds, but there you go. And I was such a terrible dancer. They asked me if I could go to the back of the room, sit in a little dark room in front of a console and run the lights. And I've been hooked ever since. You know, there's a few people that get into architectural lighting from the theater realm. It's always fascinating, but I have to admit, not being able to dance is definitely a first. What inspired you to follow that passion and become a lighting designer? I actually had incredible good luck. My mother was smart enough to see that it was something that I enjoyed and could be good at. And so she signed me up for the local youth theater where one of the best young lighting designers in Canberra, Australia, took an interest in me. And for seven years, she was my mentor, carried me through a whole lot of learning. Theatre lighting, yes. The first session we did was called Zen and the Art of Optical Perfection. I was fascinated. I signed up for the weekend and went. And it turned out to be taking down all the lights from the rig, cleaning them and putting them back up. Was there anything that you learned about cleaning lights and putting them back up on a rig that you feel like has translated all the way into what you're doing today? Without a doubt. I was at a house in Jackson, Wyoming, three nights ago doing the final adjustments. And some of the lights wouldn't move. The screw had been put through into the housing and was blocking things. And I knew how to pull it apart, rotate the light fixture around it, and screw it back together. This is something that most people who've come through an architectural education may just not have the confidence to do. It's pretty fascinating how life builds on itself, isn't it? Speaking of life building on itself, mentorship's always something that's been super important to any professional, whether they're one year or 50 years into their career. Could you dive into it a little bit for us? Define mentorship and where does it really come from? I'm going to start with the negative and tell you what it's not. It is not one hour every month. That is not mentorship. That's cool if you want to do that for someone. But mentorship is a lifestyle about how you relate to the people who know less than you about a subject, not necessarily less than you about every subject. It's not that you have to have seniority over someone. But if you know something that someone else doesn't and you can carry them through, You can see how it can improve their life, their profession, their creative opportunities, anything, and you can carry them through with generosity, then that's mentorship. When you look at mentorship and the ability to basically pass on knowledge, this is something that's been around for a very, very long time. 
Where do you think mentorship shows up most in people's lives? That's a good question. I mean, I think if you look historically, you'd say that the traditional apprenticeship system is the home of this. You're an apprentice studying under journeyman to some extent with guidance of a master who will give you the hard lessons you need to be complete enough to be graduated from your apprenticeship, become a journeyman, and eventually become a master. But in day-to-day life, it's more the good fortune that some people have to find the right mentor than it's in any given field. If you look at some of the greats of our industry, the Howard Branstons, the Richard Kellys, these people have been mentors to a lot of people. And you'll find a lot of people who talk about who they've been mentored by. So I don't think it's industry specific. I don't think it's spaces. I think it's about good fortune. But it's about good fortune and the responsibility to take value from that good fortune too. Because when I talk about mentorship, it's not about being a good mentor. It's also about being a good mentee. When you talk about mentees and mentors, you mentioned earlier that there's always an opportunity for this and it's not a scheduled one hour review point in time. How would you define how mentorship comes to existence? I think it comes from people who have a sense of natural generosity about themselves. I think there is a question of how does this benefit me being a mentor? And I think there are great benefits to being a mentor. And what are those? You start with professional practice. The kids who are coming in behind you, they are potential force multipliers. In the US military, they have this concept of force multipliers. You and I go out to fight and we knock some sense into each other, but you give one of us a knife, one of us is going to win. The force of that person has been multiplied. You give the other person a gun, their force has been multiplied. Let's make that 50 people. What are force multipliers for them? Maybe it's weapons, maybe it's radios. Many things are force multipliers. As a design professional, it's the people who work with you and who follow you to some extent, who build the work under you, under your guidance. They are your force multipliers. I have the privilege of working on 30 or 40 projects a year because there's 25 people collaborating with me. If I was trying to do those projects by myself, I could most deliver four. So that's a huge force multiplier. And you're talking about force multiplying and mentorship within your own design firm. But I think mentorship doesn't always have to be within a single company. It it can also transpire across different industries. It might just be somebody at a coffee shop that you run into and you strike up a conversation because you're both curious about something. I think there's really concrete value to that sort of thing. I mentor some people who are not even in the lighting industry, who are setting up businesses with some of the same challenges as me, the ones that I've faced. There's an architect in Austin who I spend a lot of time talking about how she manages her staff how she builds the team to be the sort of team she wants behind her. I'm able to cross over a line there pretty well. Sometimes it's a graduate student who you know, reaches out after I've given a class and wants some advice. There's one in particular who's actually done an internship in my office. We continue in monthly contact seven years later. Yet they've moved on to something else, which isn't a problem because there's a intrinsic relationship there with the ability for you to continue to teach them, but also probably learn from them as they go their separate way and maybe bring feedback back to you. What do you think, aside from having the opportunity to create that force multiplication as a mentor, what's the other main big value out of being a mentor that you might be able to point to? Well, that's right. The force multiplication is only what's in it for me in a concrete business sense. There's a lot of satisfaction in having people who look up to your point of view, who value what you have to say. Maybe who don't agree with you on everything. Maybe who see your weaknesses too. But people who you have a very satisfying relationship with. And part of it is that you can never pay it back. You can only pay it forward. So to some extent, 
the mentoring I do now is really my way of saying thank you to the people who've educated me. It's an opportunity to take what you've learned, and as you mentioned, pass it along to people. I think in a professional sense, there's always an opportunity to teach people about business, but a lot of mentoring people, and I think what mentees also strive to, to look for is just advice and comfort, and that takes a certain amount of vulnerability in it. Talk to me a little bit about how you're vulnerable as a mentor. I entirely agree, and I actually think that the other thing they're looking for is how you can take people out of their comfort zone. One of the things that happens once you have a trust relationship is the way you challenge people for what they think. It's too easy in life when you don't have people who have a sense of responsibility for you for things to run off in the wrong direction or for things to run down the easiest channel. And so a good example would be Poppy, the mentor who I had when I was a teenager, who recognized that my social skills were terrible. No one would have guessed that I would become a leader. I was unable to deal with people on a positive basis. I was unable to understand what they needed and so on. And so what she did was she had me stage manage a stage at the National Folk Festival in Australia. The first year I managed a stage for maybe 16 hours, not a huge amount, but as a 13 year old, that was a huge experience. Absolutely. And then the next year she had me manage a venue. And the year after that, she had me manage all the venue and stage managers across the entire organization. And she knew that took me out of my comfort zone. She probably knew that some people were going to suffer from some fairly bad stage management, but it taught me how important it is to have people skills and to value that and develop it. And that's what a mentor should be able to do is use the trust relationship to help you develop outside of your comfort zones as well as inside of it. Inside of it on your comfort zone, go look at YouTube. You're unchallenged by it. YouTube has some benefits to it, but there is something to be said about just being in front of a camera. Just to be clear, that was not intended as snark. A snark I'm good of at. Of course not. But of course not. What I'm talking about here is that stuff where you can go out and teach yourself. Being an autodidact is so important in the lighting industry because there's so much we don't know. And that's where the YouTubes, the books, read a damn book, visit other people's sites, go to a shopping mall where someone has arranged 130 examples of lighting design side by side for you to see in an hour. Go out and self-educate. That's a really good point. I've never thought about the fact that a shopping mall might be the best display of a variety of types of lighting design. I want to go back quickly, though, to your time as a stage manager and growing that. Did you know at 13, 14, 15, 16, you were being mentored and you were being pushed out of your limits? Obviously, today it's easy to look back on that and define that experience. But if you think back to that moment, what was it that you knew was happening versus you didn't quite understand, but you did it anyways? I'd say something slightly different. I knew I was being mentored. I you had did. no idea of the generosity behind it. Talk to me a little bit about that generosity. One of the really important things to understand, not as a mentor, but as a mentee, is you need to give appreciation back. And that doesn't mean saying thank you all the time. It means showing how you've learned from someone. And I hope for Poppy, who took me through those years, I've done that. But Pat, the young architect who I mentioned, the graduate student, the reason I started mentoring him was because I taught a class for him at the uh, UIC. And he reached out six weeks later, and I'd done some crit on his project. And he said, I tried the four things that you recommended. Two of them worked really well. Two of them I couldn't get to work. Tell me where I went wrong. And he came into that with humility and appreciation. Thank you for the two things you taught me that worked. And let me assume that it's what I've gotten wrong about the two things that you didn't understand. And that feedback makes 
the mentor feel like they're achieving something, like they're moving the needle, like it's worth doing. It's one of the other things, which is you feel the movement in the people who you're mentoring, and that movement is a pleasure. When you talk about that satisfaction of being a mentor and learning all that, there's the side of the mentee too. What do you think we can do that establishes more meaningful mentor and mentee relationships in today's modern world? I think the first thing is that anyone who runs an organization, and I mean this from an industry organization, from IES, IALD, AIA, whatever, I mean in corporations, and my little company is a corporation, you can make it part of the culture, part of the fundamental culture of your organization. We do that in a couple of ways in my organization. We actively tell people, you're going to start mentoring something very soon. We find out what software they know better than the people who are maybe a little older and a little less uh, up-to-date on software or not quite as quick on the keys. We expect them to start mentoring. So they start to get the experience of just how frustrating it can be when someone's not getting it. And maybe they just show a little bit more when they are getting it or when they need more help to the people who are mentoring them on the bigger picture subjects. What is lighting design? How do we do it? Why do we do it? What are our processes? How do we think? Making people a mentor right from the start makes them a better mentee as well and making that part of the culture. We have a fabulous organizational psychologist who works with my office, has done for almost 10 years now, and he teaches us the mentoring skills that we use internally. It's interesting. The first thing he teaches is control of your emotions you come to realize very quickly that being a good mentor or a good mentee is not about not having emotions. That's crazy. This is about human relationships. So it's all about emotion. Not showing them makes it very hard to form a trust relationship. So controlling them in the right way is important to getting that relationship going. And that's where trust comes from. And that's where pleasure comes from. Having a laugh with someone is important. When you talk about controlling your emotions, is that controlling your emotions to display them a certain way? Or is that just understanding that you have emotions and they need to be displayed? I think it's a bit of both. As a mentee, if you're being properly mentored by someone who's taking you out of your comfort zone, you're going to be going into frustration spaces quite a lot of the time. And recognizing you're frustrated because you don't know how to do something, as opposed to you're frustrated because your mentor is being difficult, might be really important. Because if you alienate someone when they take you outside of your comfort zone, then you're going to lose your mentor. They're not going to take pleasure in mentoring you. But if you can recognize that there's real frustration, but that your frustration is with yourself and the limits that you're trying to jump over, the barriers you're trying to jump over, not with the person who's putting you up against those barriers, then you've got a much better chance of learning from them and building a long-term relationship. No one can mentor everyone around them. So why would they choose you? Well, because it's a pleasure to choose you specifically. And that comes to knowing how to control emotions. There's undoubtedly a human connection between mentors and mentees. I tell you what, I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, let's dive into this relationship just a little bit more and why it is so dearly important to our industry, the lighting industry. Sound good? Sounds great. Hey, real quick. This podcast is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They make short, informative two-minute videos and bring you things like this podcast. Check them out. That's L-Y-T-E-I dot com. And welcome back. 
Over the break, Thomas and I were just catching up a little bit more about that mentor-mentee relationship and how sometimes the mentor's job is really to put the key in the back of the mentee and turn it. But what's interesting is that goes both ways. You can be a mentor and a mentee within the same relationship in a design firm, even if you're young or you're old, because everybody has something to teach someone. Thomas, when you look at the lighting industry, what do you think is the most important part of mentorship and maybe what's lacking a little bit and where we can go to do a better job? I think there are two sort of areas of this, which we should talk about both because they're important. One is how do we retain people in this industry, build them up and build their careers up as professions. And the second thing, which is also really important, is how do we retain knowledge in this industry? For too long, this industry has been driven by a group of exceptional individuals. And we look back on the early professionals, whether it's Jonathan Spears or Richard Kelly or Stanley McCandless. These are people who are self-taught, really built something, a pool of knowledge, and to some extent have paid it forward. But we're not retaining knowledge well enough. And as an industry, it's critical that we start looking at how do we collectively retain knowledge. It's not enough to say we need to inspire people to stay in this industry. We have to hold the knowledge here. And how do we do it? How do we get the people who are 30 now know quite a lot? They're not fully formed professionals yet. They're not the leaders of the industry yet, but they know a lot. How do we get them to teach the younger ones? And how do we get the older people to teach those people who are mid-career and retain that knowledge? Because as people retire, we can't lose knowledge. We have to be paying it forward. And some knowledge is experience. A lot of knowledge is experience. I have a library of 700 completed projects behind me. Most kids 23 are lucky to have finished one project by that point. So losing that knowledge that I have, and I'm only 42, think about what we lose when people retire at 65. Holding that knowledge in the industry is important, and that's where mentoring is critical. And when you look at holding that knowledge, as you mentioned, experience is a lot of what goes into any design profession, not just lighting design. You often learn from your mistakes. You work on a variety of projects. You take what works somewhere and you place it in another place and adapt it. What do you think some of the best ways that exist today or, or could be developed to transfer all of that knowledge? Because time is finite. Time is finite, but you get a lot of efficiency in little moments. And one of the sad things about this moment of COVID is that you don't walk out of the room with your colleagues. When we walk out of the room after meeting with the client, I, as a leader, will often share a couple of little insights. Ah, oh, next time the client's complaining about the lighting in their current home, instead of telling them how you can fix it for them, why don't you just sympathize with them? That's the kind of mentoring advice on soft skills that happens as you walk out of a meeting. As you click leave meeting on Zoom, you've lost that opportunity to share those little thoughts. Or have a discipline, as we have in our office, of asking a simple question of the person less experienced at you in the office. What did you learn? And it forces people to stop and think, okay, that was a learning experience. I was observing something. What can I learn from that and carry forward? Those disciplines are about the soft skills of the industry, and that's important. You mentioned how when you hit the end call on the Zoom button, which is something everybody can relate to right now, the conversation's over. That right there could be a cue set up follow-up 15-minute calls that are internal after long meetings, making a point to circle back with people to say, hey, here's what I learned. What did you learn? To continue that collaboration that we as a design community do enjoy, but are a bit starved right now for. I entirely agree. And actually, that's what we do. We immediately jump onto Skype, which is our internal messaging system. 
and have that follow-up. We've maintained that discipline. But as an industry, we have to build those disciplines, build those expectations, because it's very variable how well people are doing this. And there are metrics to show how poorly the industry is doing at retaining people and carrying them through. We can see there's a problem. We know that the lighting industry has a large group of professionals that quite frankly are very, very excited and very enthusiastic about the work that they do. Time is something that is finite though. As we've mentioned a couple times here, there's only so much anyone can ever do in a day for someone else before or after they've taken care of themselves. What are the things that might be repeatable, might be scalable to try and get more engagement from a third party to help the lighting industry create better mentorship? I'd really love to see education being funded in this by the organizations. I think, that, I think there's a lot of potential for a discipline of people being expected to learn to be mentors and doing that in the process of people's lives. It should be part of life as a lighting designer. I don't want to go back to a strict apprenticeship journeyman, master, arc. I don't believe that's possible. I don't believe it's viable. But having that expectation that as you grow, you do that. And the facilities to know how to do that is really valuable. You mentioned earlier that there were two things that we had to cover. The first was that turning the key in the back and creating that mentorship opportunity. Touch on that second point for me a little bit. As a leader of lighting designers, you also don't want to be micromanaging them. So your goal is to give them energy, motivation, opportunity, and have them run and then steer them a little bit as they go. We hear endless complaints about millennials as employees. Millennials. The millennials are always the problem, aren't they? Well, that's the thing. They're not. We are. Because when you look at millennials who are churning through companies too fast, they're complaining that they're bored, they're not getting opportunities and so on. In the relationship between a business owner, lighting designer of 40, 50, 60 years, and a millennial, who has the power? We've got access to the money. We've got access to the projects. We've got access to the clients. We've got access to the technical knowledge. We've got access to the experience. What do the millennial have? Very little. So what do you say to the statement of, well, you know, you're a millennial, you're young, you know nothing, just do your job? No, build a career arc with me. Come for the ride. It's not that these people don't have experience or don't have value. They have both those things. They are going to be the ones who are doing the majority of the work in the industry over the next few years, and after that, I'll be Gen Z. This is not a generational thing. It's a permanent condition. The people who have the knowledge, the access to work, the access to clients, the access to projects, they are always going to be dependent on the teams who are coming through behind them. And someday it'll get handed forward. Why don't we just make sure it's handed forward with care and love and knowledge? There's a lot of effective tools that do exist today that will help create opportunities for mentorship. Do you use any of those today? Or is there anything that you might be able to recommend that people dive into from a structured standpoint to just get started? I think there is direct training in this that you can go out and find. And we found an excellent organizational psychologist. I think we've spent about $35,000 on his services over the last few years. And from when we started with him, I had about 35 years of experience still ahead of me. So I paid about a thousand bucks a year for my improvements in skills as a mentor. And as a bonus, the rest of the team got a whole lot of training too. That's a pretty good deal, if you ask me. It's an incredible deal. So that can be one way of doing it. And it looks like a big investment. And there are certainly some 
terrible organizations out there selling prepackaged versions of this. No, it's got to be personalized to who you are and how you do things. I think giving a lot of access to easy knowledge is important. Having a way where people can go and educate themselves on something, whether it's what's the difference between a wall grazer and a wall washer, or how do I negotiate a contract? There are books about these things. I give the young professionals in my office quite often a copy of Machiavelli's The Prince and The Art of War when they become project managers. Not because I want them to live by Machiavellian means. I would point out that what Machiavelli says about project managers is you should hire one to do something unpopular. And right when the populace is about to rebel against them, leave that project manager dead in the town square with your sword through their throat so they know that you protected them from the project manager. So I need to be very careful about how I deliver Machiavelli. Absolutely. But I think the idea is that you want to understand the people skills people use around them and give them those skills. And then when they've absorbed that, it's time to give them something along the lines of how to win friends and influence people and realize actually the best way forward in this industry is about building a circle of positivity around you, a circle of people who appreciate the energy, the knowledge, the interest you take in them. And hopefully they do the same for you. If they don't, you can't do the maths. You can't say, am I winning or losing on this? But we make it a better industry when we do that. What are you doing within your own company to lead a charge at a larger scale within our industry? Within the company, I'm no longer really the leader of the company. And this is one of the real pleasures. I have probably 60% of the projects where I'm a driving force in them in one level or another, but often really just as wisdom for someone else who's designing them, who they can come to when they don't know. But about 40% of the work in our office almost doesn't touch my desk. Giving people space to do that within your company is really important. And I think we have an incredible crop of leaders in their mid to late 30s who are going to be significant in the industry someday, whether it's within Lux Populi or outside. Within the company, we can do that. Outside of the company, I think one of the great things to do is recognize that you're dealing with a lot of people who don't know what lighting professionals do, don't know how we do it, why we do it. I always think that any idea that you can share with someone in an hour over a table isn't worth charging for. That's where a bit of generosity works. Sitting and explaining how you're thinking about something to an architect or an interior designer or a client costs us nothing. It costs us an hour of our time for a meeting we had to be there. They'll appreciate us for the generosity of knowledge. I think that is modeling mentoring from our industry to the people who surround us, the allied professionals, and the users of our services. Well, Thomas, I think it goes without saying there's a lot here to think about. Fundamentally, we have to start somewhere. So looking for those opportunities to just teach people what you're passionate about or sharing something that you've learned in the hopes that maybe they could do the same for you is a great place to start. This has been a really great conversation and I hope that you can continue down your journey of being a mentor and I'm sure also being a mentee even in your 40s and on into the later parts of your career. What's the best way people can get in touch with you if they have any questions? I'm most accessible on LinkedIn to people who want to contact me personally. If you'd like to see what we do as a company, come to luxpopuli.com. But more importantly, just meet my people. They're fabulous people. Well, I hope to meet all of your people someday soon. A trip down to Mexico City sounds perfect. December, January, when the snow falls and the temperatures get maybe a little too crisp here in Colorado. Thomas, thanks so much for stopping in. This has been an awesome conversation, and I hope we'll get to catch up again soon. I look forward to it. Thanks very much for the opportunity. You're welcome. See you soon. Thank you.
Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, if you enjoyed this podcast, do me a quick favor and go back to whatever platform you listen to this on and click like or subscribe. It's the best way to make sure that you never miss another episode of The Light Pod, where we interview people who are all things lighting, think it's cool, and have a conversation or a story to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.